At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Katie Pavlich is somebody that you probably are very well familiar with. Uh, she's a conservative commentator on Fox News. She has a number of shows on Fox Nation. And she's a proud hunter. And I was lucky enough to bump into her in Nashville at the Safari Club International Convention. And just sort of fate brought us together. And I said, hey, would you want to come on the Blood Origins podcast? And unbelievably, she said yes. So. I wanted to have Katie on for just, a, again, what we are very well known for, short, sharp, to-the-point conversation about hunting, our narrative. And because she's in the political space, what does she see for hunting that we need to be doing that will save this lifestyle of ours for the next 5, 10, 15 years? So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Great. I just have to run at like 2.55. Sorry. Oh, no, we're not going to. Um, it depends on how long you want to <laughs> okay, speak. Okay, all right, know? good. It just depends how chitty-chatty you are. I just, you never know. <laughs> nah. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you, you said, like, you know, I said you're a really busy lady. And uh, I really appreciate you being on here, number one. Oh, I'm grateful um, to be here. This is cool. Number two. Um, yeah, it's, you know, people say, oh, you know, after this, this Blood Origins job, now I'm doing it full time. And for the last, you know, five years, I haven't, I've been doing two jobs at the same time. <laughs> and it's almost like you've transitioned into this world now that you're like, oh, okay. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a second job. But it's like, holy smokes, I'm even busier than yeah. I was before I had, like, two jobs. Totally, yeah. It's like you have to do everything. 
all the time. Yeah, yeah, and we're you know we're an inch deep across the world, mm-hmm. and you know we're dealing with. I wake up in the morning and I've got two hundred WhatsApp messages from Zambia and the United Kingdom and Spain and Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, and it, there's no. It's twenty four seven because the world keeps going right. Well, I don't know how you deal with the time difference. I mean, that is that's a lot to keep track of. I would screw that up. I would screw that up every single day. <laughs> So when I go when I go traveling, I wear my watch, uh-huh. and I do not change the clock on my watch. Oh, okay. So I know exactly the time it is when I when what what time is that? It's at home. So like I'm not calling my wife in the middle of the night or like all right, what's the time to say goodnight to my kids and stuff like that. See, so. that's that's fair. I have the opposite strategy. I immediately change to local time, so I mentally don't think about being jet lagged. So it's like the other time doesn't even exist. <laughs> yeah, you and and obviously then there's there's tricks to the trade when it comes to jet lag and yeah. whatnot. I'm flying to New Zealand on Friday, which is so cool. You're doing a documentary, yeah, we, there. Yeah, we've got three documentaries. Amazing, and um, you know this is what's amazing about the hunting world is that when you ask, and I'm in a, in the business of being a non-profit, the executive director of a non-profit. So you have to ask. And the worst thing someone can say is no <laughs> in terms of raising money and whatnot. Right. And we we got connected to a very phenomenal Spanish company, Dicar S. Coop. They essentially build all the barrels for a number of gun manufacturers all around the world. And they said, we want to invest in our community. We feel like you're the best person to do it with. Do you have projects around the world that we can put some money towards? I said, sure. yeah, I've got some, <laughs> some great projects. And I told them about a New Zealand project in which you've got these huge hunting communities that go up into the watersheds and they essentially take care of all of the invasive small species yeah. that are, are sort of being very detrimental to kiwis, flightless birds, and then specifically their national duck called the fio. And this company said, sure. And they invested $100,000 wow. New Zealand dollars. Wow. That's into awesome. New Zealand. And the New Zealand community is like, you're, you're investing how much money? Because they're just not a philanthropic community in sort of New Zealand, Australia space. Interesting. And I said, yeah, we're going to do that. And then we're going to come and we're going to tell your story. And we're going to tell your story and put it on the global platform and say, look, this is what hunters are doing for native flora and fauna uh-huh. in New Zealand just because they care. Right. Right. No one's forcing them to do it. They're volunteering, voluntarily doing it with lots of money. And uh, if it doesn't happen through you guys, it's not happening. Exactly. Well, Katie Pavlich, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I've been talking your ear off for the last four minutes already. <laughs> I love it. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> if, if, if people have been living under the rock and they do not know who you are, uh, do you want to just give a quick introduction to who you are? Well, these days, I think living under a rock is a nice place to be. <laughs> Agreed. So if you are, uh, congratulations. A lot of us would like to join you there at some point. Um, so I uh, am a, a contributor at Fox News. I uh, manage um, a website called townhall.com, which is a conservative political news website. Uh, I'm currently hosting a hunting series on Fox Nation. Um, you are? I am. It's called... Luxury Hunting Lodges of America. So it's not, you know, it's no a little way. different than the way I, I grew up hunting. <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I do a lot of... How does somebody get a gig that is 
dis, you know, evaluating, assessing, describing, yeah. enjoying luxury hunting lodges of the U.S. I mean, it's a really hard job, uh, but someone has to do it. So, you know, I, I just have you to go. You voluntarily put your hand up Very and difficult. said, I'll do Slumming this. away, you know, in the cozy lodge with a nice bed and glass of wine every night really difficult you know go hunting in the morning it's awesome <laughs> so unbelievable that's like a couple that, of things that's that on I do. fox news right now it's on fox nation yes the streaming service fox nation yes, the first season and, came um, out last year and we're working on the second season now so amazing where did where have you been all over the place so we've been to colorado wyoming arkansas south dakota montana uh, we're going to florida here in a couple of weeks to film uh, one of the final episodes we went to texas been all over so i'm hoping that maybe we can do global though because i think we might run out of lodges here there's a lot of lodges but there's well, not a lot of hunting lodges well if you do go global i would very much suggest scotland yeah they have castles that you can stay in <laughs> yes <laughs> uh spain has some incredible uh this uh sort of um thinkers or farms that you can stay in and then New Zealand obviously mm -hmm. has some amazing, amazing private places. Yeah, New Zealand's on um, the list for sure. <laughs> of wants. Have you hunted outside the U.S.? I have not. No, my my dad has. He's actually he's hunted in Australia and South Africa. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity, but maybe someday. Finding the time to get all the way over there is a little bit difficult these days. But um, I would love to at some point. Look, there's Wi-Fi in the planes. <laughs> you can work in the on the planes. <laughs> Yeah. And based on coming out of COVID, you know, you can literally work from anywhere in the world. Maybe not you the outback. You just got to figure out the time zone. <laughs> Maybe not the outback, but um, <laughs> you'd be surprised, I guess. Yeah, I guess just, you know, you can get one of Elon's uh, Starlink true. things and take it away along with you wherever you are, set it up. And That's true. I mean, I know how I, know how I feel about that. It's like, do you really want to have Wi-Fi everywhere? No. Sometimes you just want to get out of there, you know, turn it off. Enjoy where you are. That's right. Go back in time a little bit. Wait, when you were in Arkansas, was it duck hunting? It was, yes. We went to Stan Jones Mallard Lodge, and that episode will be coming out with the new season of this summer. So my first time duck, duck hunting. I didn't grow up bird hunting, really. I grew up big game hunting. Um, so it was an experience for sure and amazing. Arkansas is an incredible place to go do that. So I assume you you went into the, the cypress bottoms, the sort of green green tree reservoirs and watch the birds sort of just float through the, the timber or was it open fields? It was both. It was both. So we did two different blinds, um, one pit blind and one blind on the side of the, the river where the some of the timber was. It wasn't quite so far into the timber. It's actually a big rice farm. And, mm. you know, speaking of conservation, I mean, Stan Jones, who runs the place and owns the property, has been buying up pieces of this farmland for years and has turned it into this hunting, duck hunting paradise. You know, he's invested all this money into making sure that it's a place where the ducks have a, a, a place to migrate. And um, he really has turned it into this conservation area where you can't, you know, there's just so many ducks and they've increased the population of the numbers that come through. Um, and a lot of what they do on the farm, which is a working rice farm, goes directly back into the conservation of the hunting and, and the animals. So it's been really cool as part of this series that I'm doing to go to different places across the country and to see what people are doing. So when I went to Three Forks Ranch, um, which is on the Col the Colorado-Wyoming border, um, David Pratt, who's the owner of that um, lodge and that ranch, 
you know, they have 300,000 acres and they have this river that runs through and they personally invested their own money, their own time uh, to restore the river there. And it's the largest private river restoration the country's ever seen. Unbelievable. So they went in and, and they still run cattle, but they run them on part, a part of the ranch where it won't do as much damage to the environment. And they've seen the bald eagles come back, the elk, the moose come back, and the river is now completely restored. And they have amazing fly fishing, um, brown rainbow trout. And so it's just been really cool to go and see how these private entities where people go and have stay and have fun. And, you know, not everybody who stays in these places is a hunter, but they, right. you know, it's part of their mission to own these pieces of property and then put back uh into the environment that they they live in and to really conserve the land for people who come and you know don't have a ranch uh and also just for future generations katie is do you think based on your travels to these high-end places is it pervasive that mission that's that that mission that ethos of looking after the land it is i mean it's it's a core tenant of what all these places do and it's not just that these these luxury places that I get to go, um, you know, when I'm hunting with my, my dad uh, at a ranch in Wyoming, which is not luxurious and we're sleeping in a, in, in a very different circumstance, um, the people there do everything they can to make sure that it, everything is, you know, provided for uh, the animals and the property in a way that is sustainable. Um, they have an interest because it's you know, it's their land and they, they enjoy it and love it and care about the ethos and making it sustainable and, and doing things and investing the time and the money um, so that they can enjoy it and respect it for the future as well. Um, so it is, it's a pervasive principle that I see all over the country. And I've seen it for mm. my entire life that I've been out in the woods and in the fields. And it's what I brought, you know, was brought up thinking and doing. And I grew up on five acres of property in the middle of the woods. And that was always our mentality, you know, and um, it's interesting, like now living in the city, I still have the same kind of habits, like not leaving the sink running. Uh, we had a wood burning stove, you know, we had a, a, a cistern. So like it's not, you know, taking quick showers, you know, stuff like that, that really you think about uh, when you grow up in that kind of environment, or at least spend a lot of time in it. Katie, where did you grow up? Uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff, Arizona. Yep. And then right now you're in New York City? No, I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm on the Virginia side, uh, Washington, though, the freedom side of the river. So the D.C. area, though. <laughs> <laughs> the freedom side of the Did river. You, when, you grew up in, when you grew up in Arizona, your dad took you hunting as a youngster? Uh-huh. So actually, it's kind of a funny story. Um, when I turned 10, my dad gave me my first hunting rifle with my name engraved on the side. And, um, or not engraved, but embroidered on the, the sling. And he was so excited, you know, that his first kid, I'm the oldest kid, there's two of us, I have a younger brother, that he put me in for junior elk and junior mule deer for the fall. But they were on the same weekend. And I got drawn for both. <laughs> oh my gosh. And they were five hours away in Arizona driving time. So hundreds of miles away from each other. So... Long story short, we went to hunt elk for a day and a half, didn't get one, drove to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, got a deer the next morning after setting up camp and having car trouble, drove all the way back because I insisted that we go back to elk hunt because we had another day and a half, thought it was over, 
Um, it was 11 a.m. on Monday, last day of the four-day hunt, and we went to this tank to have lunch, and we're, you know, tromping around, and my dad went back to the, the truck and sat me down with my rifle, and I'd been calling on this elk call all weekend and driving him crazy because I sounded horrible, and I was there all by myself, and I heard one, and it called back, and my dad's, like, walking up with lunch, thinking the whole thing's over, and I yelled at him to sit down, and she, you know, it didn't believe me, of course, and then just Sure enough, like 30 seconds later, this elk comes out of the the, the woods oh and gosh. it didn't have any antlers, so it was totally game, and we got one. So we got both on the same weekend. It was awesome. Man, what a freaking story <laughs> to start your hunting career, I got man. it on the front of the page of the outdoor section of the local newspaper. Um, and you framed that, right? I did, and I also got some unsolicited letters to the editor. There was one woman who thought that I was holding my pet ear. In the photo? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, it's like, yes, I always hold my rifle when I hold my pet deer. Uh, <laughs> that's usually what you do. So it was good. It was really a fun time. Katie, uh, um, this may be a, a dumb question for someone like you, but I'm going to ask it because I typically ask it of people that are in the public spotlight. Has there ever been a time that you have said you didn't want to say you're a hunter or you didn't say you're a hunter or... You know what I'm trying to say? It's yeah. almost like, you know, celebrities right now, and this is sort of, it's not a pet peeve of mine, but it's, if we could get the celebrity caucus, mm -hmm. and it would blow your mind, and we, you'd have to do like a hundred of them, not one just standing up by himself, right, or herself, but a hundred of them. They all said, we hunt. Right. And again... There would be celebrities that would blow your mind that they hunt. Justin uh -huh. Timberlake. I remember going to Travis Turner's place to record his Blood Origins episode, and he was tuning bows. And he was like, you see that bow over there? I said, yeah. He says, that's Justin Timberlake's bow. I was like, what? He hunts? He's like, yeah. I was like, come on, yeah. man. It would, be, it would be unbelievable. But I have a mission in life. I'm going to, you know. Small little chits, one small cut at a time. I'm yeah. going to get there. I'm going to get to the top. And we're going to get to the people that, and I think we've built a platform that is, I hate saying this, and Cody, a friend of mine that works for us, uh, hates me saying this, but that we're gray enough or middle enough, middle of the road enough for someone to talk about hunting with us. We don't show kill shots. We don't show yeah. trophy shots. We, we talk about right. the good. Right. Around hunting, tradition, uh -huh. heritage, uh -huh. family, food. Yep. Yeah, for I mean, for me, that's anyway. not, you know, everybody has their own reason they hunt. And if that's what you're into, trophy hunting, kill shots, everyone has their own thing. But for me, exactly what you just described is why I'm still a hunter as an adult, right? I grew up hunting because my dad took me hunting, but why do I still want to go hunting when I'm not with him? Um, it is about tradition and and what it means to be out in the woods and how I feel when I'm there and how it reminds me of being grateful for the world that we live in because I can see and smell and hear and respect the animal that I'm able to to go after uh, and the pursuit that that takes. And for me, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying I've been blessed to be able to work in spaces where I was able to be open, right? Um, I have this new yeah. program on Fox Nation. Uh, I work for outlets that um, have been supportive of me being outspoken. That are okay with you right. being Hunter. But at the same time, 
it's not that these things don't come up in controversy, right? I mean, you know, there's these trophy hunting stories like that come out of Africa about lions and elephants. And when I see people talking about these issues and getting very emotional about it and not understanding the background of the conservation that goes into these these hunts or what it really means to be a hunter, even if you're taking something like a lion or, or an elephant. And it makes me actually want to be even more vocal about being a hunter so that people can better understand what it is and why these things happen um, and explain this foreign concept to people in a way that they could understand. So I've never been ashamed. I've never felt like I had to hide the fact that I'm a hunter. Um, I understand that, you know, the anti-hunting lobby is very aggressive and they can actually be very threatening and violent. Um, but no, I mean, I've been very proud to be one. And I've, when these issues come up, I actually get even more worked up to go and talk about my own experience, which isn't everyone's mm -hmm. experience, but it's usually a lot more experience than most of the people who think they know what they're talking about. Mm. You know, it's funny, a voice like yours, when you need to go to Africa. That's what I hear. Like it's, it, <laughs> you, well, it's, 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 you need to go because it's well, number one, yeah. it's amazing, right? It's such a beautiful country. The, the sky is so big. The, the dirt smells so rich. It's just, it's like blood know. diamond, right? It's the dirt is red because of all the blood that's been shed in Africa. But I think just when you get in brought into a lion argument or an elephant argument like why are people killing endangered animals and elephants like elephants and you can say well look i've been to botswana i've seen that that there's way too okay. many elephants there and i've seen the smiling face of the mom that had a kid on her back taking the meat and taking it home and cooking it and me sitting on the fire with her enjoying this amazing protein that they've never received right. before there's something about first-hand knowledge, obviously. Of course. Right? A lot of people have, are, are ignorant to a lot of benefits and consequences of hunting because they haven't been there. But I also will say, all the things that you described as why you hunt, I think that we've been guilty as a hunting community for not communicating. That not communicating the benefits and consequences. Yeah, the, the, and, and you know, when the people, people who come off as anti-hunting, maybe not the super aggressive lobby, but maybe someone in the general public who has never experienced hunting, doesn't know any hunters, right? Who has this idea of what it is based on what they read. Um, they care about wildlife. They care about the environment. They care about conservation. And if you just have a discussion with them about what hunting really is, I think they'd actually very be very open to what it to to what it is, and, and then they can go convince someone else. So I always say you can't blame people for not knowing something they've never been told or or heard. And so you do have to talk about it's not just about hunting; it's it, it's a bigger package than that. And of course, there's always in any group or society or whatever you want to call it bad apples that make the whole group look bad. But that's not a representation of everybody. And the reason why uh, hikers and backpackers and people who like to enjoy the great outdoors, at least in the United States, um, enjoy it is because hunters are the ones who are paying a lot of the fees to make sure that those places are um, conserved for everybody, hunters and non-hunters alike. And so if you like your outdoor spaces, 
you can thank hunters for that. And I don't think people really understand that at all. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's tough to, if you're just wanting to be a hunter and live your life and go to your job, you know, to take on this other argument and debate. But if, if you have the opportunity to just discuss it with people, I think you can really go a long way. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize, not just hunters, but shooters, right? You've worked with Scott and yeah. at Volkwatsen and whatnot. And shooters today, when you look at the data coming out of NSSF, shooters today are like almost paying 70% of the bill. Hunters are paying about 30% of the right. bill. Uh, but if you take it from like 1937, obviously hunters have taken the yeoman's um, amount of effort to put all the conservation work and restoration work in place. But today, you know, again, you, you vilify the Second Amendment, you vilify the fact that we buy uh-huh. guns and ammunition. It's just, it's a dangerous spiral of when you start banning guns or banning hunting what are the repercussions forget societal for a second but money is going to the your favorite place to go and camp with your kids and make a campfire and a bonfire and cook s'mores oh it can't run anymore it's going to get shut down doesn't have the maintenance monies why oh yeah oh because they banned a certain but say banned x Uh and y and that that means that the state itself receives less X and Y revenue from Fish and Wildlife Service. Exactly. What do you expect exactly. them to do? And, you know, it's a partnership between the shooting community and which there's a lot of overlap between the hunters and the shooting community. But the 70% of raising funds through ammunition purchases, gun purchases, and the hunters who are buying licenses but then the hunters are also going out and doing a lot of these conservation projects. You know, my grandfather was one of the founding members of the Arizona Bighorn Sheep Society. And they still, mm. every fall and every spring, I've gone out a couple of times with them. Um, they build these water entrapment, entrapment projects out in the middle of the desert so that the population of sheep can remain healthy in places where there's not a lot of water and no resources for them. My brother's on the board of the Arizona Antelope Foundation, trying to get new, younger members to join. Um, and the fences that get built so that the wildlife can go in a direction that's safe for them, away from the highways and the freeways, uh, and up to their the habitat and protecting that habitat for them, that doesn't happen without human involvement. And I think there's this misconception about, well, if humans just weren't around, nature would just take its course. Um, and that may be true, but it wouldn't be in the, in the in the tame ways that I think everybody has in their mind about what hunting really is. You know, in Africa, my dad went to Africa to, to hunt and he came back and, you know, told me a lot of the stories about what he learned. And you may relate to this, but if you don't put a value on animals, a human value, an economic 100%. value, they become worthless and then they become disrespected. So if you can put a value on them, take the time, show people what it's worth to put in the effort to really manage it from a human perspective, um, then you're going to have a better environment for hunting, but also for everybody. Same scenario in America. Yep. Why do you think you have amazing duck lodges in Arkansas? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why do you think people are investing millions into their properties? White-tailed deer, just look Mm -hmm. at white-tailed deer. It's the most... It's probably the most populous animal hunted on the planet with the largest hunting population that chases it. 
the vast majority of which is is being done on private land. What are they doing to their private land? They constantly are improving it, constantly doing timber stand improvement, constantly putting food plots, fertilizers, seed mixes, you name it. Fire. Yep. yep. Why? They just reintroduced elk in southern Virginia, and they worked with a lot of yeah. the landowners down there, you know, for the far, you know, there's plenty of deer, white-tailed deer, but they're rehabilitating the elk population there. Um, and unfortunately, there's only one tag, and it's a lottery, and I put it in and didn't get it this time. But maybe next year. <laughs> next year. Next year. Maybe next for sure. year. I think uh, you you and 100,000 yeah, people exactly. are after that I one know. elk tag. Bummer. Katie, you live in the political world. You are always looking around corners. What would you say, advice-wise, do we as hunters need to be doing now so that in five, ten years' time, fifteen years' time, our kids and our grandkids are able to enjoy the same things you and I enjoy? I think that this climate change agenda is a huge threat to outdoorsmen and hunters. And it's not to say that the climate doesn't change. I mean, I grew up in Arizona, going to the Grand Canyon, there are seashell fossils on the top level of the Grand Canyon. It used to be under an ocean. And the climate does change. But I think there's a big difference between pollution and man-made climate change that governments around the world are trying to force humans out of nature to solve this problem rather than adapting and figuring out ways that humans can be part of pollution. And Mm -hmm. to solve that, I think it goes back to what you were saying. You have to make the case that hunters are part of conservation and I hate the word environmentalism, but they're interested in in environmentalism. They're interested. But could we, could we take it to environmentalism? We could. Is that, think about it. You're, you're in the political space. I think you have to take back the the term. You have to make, make. you have to take back the term. I can't stand it when I get accused of being, you know, a climate change denier or a climate denier, someone who doesn't care about the earth. By people who've never even experienced the outdoors. It's all coming from people in cities in New York, Washington, D.C., Geneva, Brussels, Paris. These people aren't outdoors people. They don't know what it's like to, to go on a, a sheep project and, you know, make sure that the environment is available for the wildlife that lives there in a safe, unpolluted way, untouched way. Um, so I think that the, the climate change agenda from the perspective of controlling and keeping people out of the environment is a big problem. Um, At the same time, I think a big threat also is, you know, we always want more hunters, right? But I think you need hunters who have the right ethos. Like, if you don't want to respect the animals and you don't want to respect the woods or the environment that you're in, uh, and the ethos around it, and the tradition, and what it means to be a hunter, then I don't really want you out there, because you're just going to make us all look bad, yeah. and then we're going to have consequences for other people's behavior. Um, so having kind of standards about what the expectations are doesn't mean everybody has to be the same or hunt the same way, but just an attitude of respect about what we do and what is and is not acceptable. Um, so th- those two things, I think, are are big breaths you know you always see these yeah i love the idea i love the idea of environmentalism right i love the idea of showcasing 
how good a job we're doing Absolutely. for the environment. I agree. 100%. I love the idea of respect. I think respect in today's age, there's certain characteristics that I think are flailing in today's society. I think respect <laughs> is one of them. I think gratitude yes, is another. Absolutely. Um, and I think those two things, unfortunately, it's, and I'll be blunt, I think it's a pipe dream in that, you know, you have the meme accounts right now in the hunting world that, that point out people doing stupid stuff. But who is that actually, who is that actually targeting? It's, it, and it's targeting hunters and it's, it's this, it's building this little, I don't think it's having the effect in the non-hunting space that it needs to, because I don't think the non-hunting majority actually cares, yeah. number one. And number two, I don't think they see it. I agree. Right. Okay. But the minority that's doing it are powerful and I don't th- in a lot of ways. So it has to be confronted. Yeah. Yeah. It has to. And, but, you know, social media right now, when you look at graphs of like what social media has done since 2005, we're on an exponential uh-huh. climb right now. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry has a cell phone and they have access to uh-huh. the world through their cell phone and their stupid activities can be seen halfway down the round the world yeah. in 12 seconds. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with. I know. It's true. But why not use that platform for good to showcase what hunters are doing, right? Yep. 100%. And that's what, and that's what you just nailed mm-hmm. it on the head, in that it is social media is the bane of our existence, but it's also the champion exactly. of our it's existence. It's a tool that can be used to show people, because people you know, can see for themselves, but if you don't put it out there, then they can't see it. So teach them something new. Be willing to teach people who maybe are even hostile towards the community what they're missing or what they don't know. Uh before I let you go, favorite animal that you've that you've hunted? I gotta say pronghorn antelope. I went on this amazing horseback pronghorn antelope hunt with my dad in Wyoming two years ago. Oh, and man. it was just absolutely spectacular. So definitely pronghorn antelope. <laughs> and tastes it is good delicious, too. yes. Uh, I still gotta get a bull elk that's on the bucket list. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but that's on my list. And uh, maybe I'll get to Africa someday. <laughs> Yeah, I think Africa definitely needs to be on the yeah. bucket list. Um, the spectacular food, the spectacular people, yep. and the conservation success story that it is is exactly. Right up your I love it. So we'll see, but maybe Australia too. That's Katie, where my grandma uh, was from. So maybe I'll get there sometime too. Well, look, I didn't know you had a dark side to your I family do, like yes. I do. You know, <laughs> we don't like to talk about those Australians. You know, there's like oh. Yeah, I know. My uh, my <laughs> grandmother was a nurse in World War II, and she was working in a hospital in Sydney, and my grandpa was fighting the Japanese for the U.S. Army in the Philippines and got malaria, and they sent him to this hospital, and they eloped in Australia, and then he sent her back to America by herself to Globe, Arizona alone, and she waited for him. Yeah. Amazing. And so, here I am. Unbelievable. <laughs> here I am. Finished out the war, and there he came home. Thank God. Yeah. That is amazing. That is amazing. Well, Katie, I appreciate um, you coming on here. I, I didn't say this in the beginning, but I very much appreciate um, me. I don't know if it was bordering accosting oh. you at the after party. Um, oh, no, no, no. It was more like I saying, turned around I and I almost, I almost ran into you. I cleared the stairs I, and I did like a quick turn. <laughs> 
And I was like, one of those, like, oh, sorry. So it was, it was fate. It, it was great. It worked out. I was really glad. Yeah, it was perfect. Um, and please, if, if there's anything that you need in terms of, you know, you, you're doing any commentary on hunting, if you need any information, any research, we yes, are the source. Absolutely. And we'd love to be your source for anything that you do uh, in the space Thank that you, you live in. Thank you very much. And if I can be of any help as well, please let me know. Um, just even sharing things in the social media space that we have, happy to do that. So anything that we can do to promote our own environmentalism and conservation for uh, the wildlife that we love and the world that we want to live in is something I'm happy to be on board with. So I'm grateful that you invited me. Look at you slipping those yeah, terms Yeah, we got to repeat them for repetition. So I'm grateful that you asked me to come on. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you're doing. And good luck in New Zealand. That's so exciting. No, no problems. Thank you, Kate. Can't wait to see what you've produced. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.